you would, turn to the Bible to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, this is our last passage in chapter 3. This is the seventh of the seven churches that are addressed in chapters 2 and 3. And this is a big one. This is the church in Laodicea. Perhaps you've heard of that before. If you haven't heard of that, then you'll more likely you have heard of some of the subjects that come up in this one. For the last seven Sundays, we have looked at seven consecutive letters to churches there in Revelation 2 and 3. This is the uh, powerful, risen Lord Jesus speaking to each of those churches, and they are applied to us. We think that these seven messages to these seven churches are a part of this one big letter, which is the book of Revelation that was sent to uh, all of these churches, and so they, they all got all of these messages. It comes to us as a huge help for churches to be able to look inwardly, to reflect on who we are. A couple weeks ago, I talked about blind spots in our lives and in the life of a church. This final one today, the church in Laodicea, will serve us well in this way. In 2007, when Val was pregnant with our first JJ, I got a job at UPS, working nights. And up until that point in my life, I was, at that point I was 27 years old, I was not a coffee drinker. I did not drink any coffee up until that point. I had plenty energy in life and thought I did not need it. But we had to start at UPS at two in the morning. And so I became a coffee drinker. Now there's not a day that goes by that I don't drink coffee and I hate that. I will admit that I still don't like the taste of coffee, but I like the way coffee helps me, or at least I think that it does. But I always drink it hot hot coffee. I know that iced coffee is the thing now. I don't do that. I've never done that. I don't get taking a hot drink and pouring it over ice and especially paying $6 for it. But people say that iced coffee is great, and I will say that I need hot coffee, but I'll tell you what's not good is when your hot, hot coffee has sat for a while on your desk or on your counter. And it's an hour or two later, and you come back to it, and you drink that. I know cold coffee has become popular, but that kind of warm, room-temperature coffee is horrible, isn't it? Accidentally picking up one that you thought was hot, and it now being room temperature is so bad, it will almost make you gag or spit it out. And y'all, this is the very idea that Jesus uses of his church in Revelation 3 to Laodicea. That they are lukewarm and he hates it. He is disgusted by it. And we don't ever want to be crude in the name of God. We don't ever, ever want to be crude with reverence toward the Lord Jesus Christ. We never, may we never be light or flippant or joking irreverently about God and truth. May we never do that. May we never do that from this pulpit. May we never do that in our lives. But it is Jesus that says, he will spit them out of his mouth. I don't say that flippantly. I don't want to be crude. Jesus says that. Being lukewarm as a follower of Christ or as a church is really bad. And we will see this today from Laodicea. Read with me, if you will, from Revelation 3, beginning in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, 
the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Again, this is the last of the seven. This is a message to the church in Laodicea, and it is a message to Christ's church everywhere. It's a message for God's one big church, the universal church, all the believers in the world, and it is a message to each individual congregation that is representative of the big church. This is a message for the local church. Two points this morning, both of them as a message from Christ. The first is Jesus saying, I know your lukewarm works. For you children that are using a listening page today, that's the first point. I know your lukewarm works. If you look at verse 15, we have him saying, I know your works. This is Jesus now identifying that he knows their works. He introduces himself in verse 14 with three different descriptors. We have him as the amen. What a a, a name, right? The amen, the final word, the absolutely, verily, truly, that's who Jesus is. He is the end. He is the final word. There are no words that come after he has spoken. He's the amen. What a good name for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the faithful and true witness. He only ever faithfully testifies. He is faithful and true. What he witnesses to, he witnesses to accurately. What he points us to, he points us to directly and clearly. We are thankful for that. He is faithful and true. If you want to know of, about anything regarding truth, regarding life, regarding yourself, regarding your salvation, look to the one who will never hold back from being clear. He is faithful and true. He is the beginning of God's creation. He is the creator himself. He is the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is this Jesus that now speaks to the church in Laodicea, and he says to them, I know your works. Now, he says this a lot, and we've seen that through these seven letters to these seven different churches, there are a lot of similarities. Josh Womble pointed out last Sunday as he preached to the previous church, uh, Philadelphia, that that one was all good. Everything he says about the church in Philadelphia is good. There are no no negatives in that one. Well, we see today that for the church in Laodicea, it's the opposite. It's all bad. There are no good in the church in Laodicea. There's no compliment here. There's no encouragement to them for how they're doing in any direction. In most of these seven letters, that's the way it goes. He, He points out a few good things, but then there's some really bad things, and he corrects them on that, and he calls them to repent. He rebukes them. But with this one, there's no good. In saying he knows their works, you might first think, if you stopped there, that he is saying that he recognizes some good works that they're doing, but it's not the case. The church at Laodicea was full of works, but they were not good works. They were works not coming from faith, You know, we've talked often about works, and you have to understand in your life, in your faith, in your Christian life, right, in your religion, in your church life, you must understand that the works are the fruit. 
The works are not the root. The root is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The key, the foundation, the the life, the source of who we are and our religion and our living spiritually is faith in Christ. That is the root. That is where life comes from. Spiritual life, eternal life, through faith in Christ. And anything that we do outwardly, any obedience, any efforts, any works, come from that. They are never the root. They are fruit of the root, and you must get that. This is why you must identify who you are deep down on the inside. Are you a believer in Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus having died sinless for your sins as that being the only thing that will make you right with God? Have you humbled yourself before God and said, God, forgive me of my sins, and I know that what Jesus did is why you will forgive me. Have you abandoned asking God to accept you on something you've done? Please abandon that. For as good of people as you are, we are also flawed, misdirected, disobedient, sinful people. We all are. And we need forgiveness from God. And we get forgiveness out of the love of God and the grace of God through what Christ has done. Believing that is the root of Christianity. It is the root of your spiritual life. Believe that. Trust that. That's the root. The fruit that comes out of that then is good works that we do in the name of Christ, because of Christ, by faith. And we can never get that wrong. The church in Laodicea was full of works, but they did not stem from faith in Jesus. They were works that came from a lukewarm life, spiritual life. And that is very troubling. And Jesus knows them. Jesus knows when you and I are just playing the game. Jesus knows when you and I are hiding things. Jesus knows when the church is self-centered. Jesus knows our motives. Jesus knows when Jesus knows when you and I are hoping that we've been good enough to be right with him. And that's not right. It's wrong. It's not faithful to the truth. It's not accurate to what God and his word and his message teaches us. He sees in the church in Laodicea that they are not cold, they are not hot, they are neither of those. Oddly enough, or strikingly enough, in verses 15 and 16, if you look, he says three times cold and hot. It sounds a little redundant. I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. They are not a hot church. They are not a cold church. They're lukewarm. In other words, they're not what they're supposed to be. If coffee's supposed to be iced coffee, then it needs to be nice, fresh coffee over ice. If coffee is supposed to be fresh brewed coffee, it needs to be steamy and hot, right? The, the cup better be something that will keep you from getting burned. That's how coffee is intended. If it's set there to where it's now room temperature, this is not the way it was supposed to be. And we don't really care that much about coffee. Jesus cares about those who live for him, that represent his name. Now, there's a lot of discussion here about what it means to be cold or hot. And I think your first thought would would go to, I think that your first thought would go to that cold is kind of a bad thing, right? Like cold, standoffish, distant, and hot's a good thing. Like, man, I'm I'm on fire. I think that's the way we think of it initially, but that's not exactly what's what's going on here. We're not supposed to think of uh, their faith as being uh, good or bad, hot or cold doesn't make good sense to us if he says, would that you were either cold or hot. Why would he be glad for them to be a cold church, a, an unbelieving church? I don't think this hot or cold is synonymous with good or bad. And let me explain. 
You can look in anywhere, in any book, in any commentary, and they will all tell you this same thing. Laodicea was a very successful, wealthy town. It was in the valley, and they prospered in lots of ways. That's why we're about to see where he says, y'all are rich, and you think you're rich, but spiritually, you're not rich. They were successful, and they were wealthy, and they were in the valley, all right? And at the, at the top of the mountain, there were all these awesome mountain springs of fresh-flowing mountain water. And we know how awesome mountain water is. It's fresh, it's clear, it's crisp, it's, it's brisk. We love that. You can go buy bottled water now that says on the label, fresh mountain spring water, right? And they had that in Laodicea. And that good cold water that was clean and clear would be sent down the mountain into Laodicea. And at the bottom, at the lower parts, there were awesome hot springs. And I don't know if you've ever been around hot springs before, but they are remarkable. They are truly from the earth. God made them, and it's just boiling hot water that comes out. There are hot springs all over the place, and when we go to Ecuador, we have opportunity to swim in those. In, early when I was in college, I went to Africa and got to swim in some hot springs. It's really cool, but those were down below, and they would try to pipe in this hot water to Laodicea, but you know what happened? Laodicea was known for having really bad water, Because by the time the fresh cold water got there, it had mellowed out and become just regular temperature. By the time the hot water got all the way up to Laodicea, it had cooled off and become just regular temperature. And everybody in Laodicea in that town knew about how bad their lukewarm water was. The cold water around them wasn't cold when it arrived there. The hot water below them wasn't hot when it arrived there. And so they had a problem in Laodicea with their water. It was often old, stagnant water. What Jesus is saying to his church is just as your successful, wealthy city has a blemish on it because of your water problem, how everybody knows that in Laodicea they have nasty water. You can't just take the water in Laodicea and immediately use it. Your hot water has to be reheated and your cold water isn't as cold as you want it to be. You know your water's disgusting. And everybody in Laodicea knows you don't drink our water. He says that's how your church is. And just as you all are familiar with spitting out the lukewarm water that you all drink, I feel that way about your church, and you are lukewarm, and I will spit you out of my mouth. The church had become like the water of Laodicea, and Jesus tells them directly that this is not good, it's not acceptable, he's not honored in that, he's not worshipped by that. The church of Laodicea had professed Christ but they didn't really trust in him. They were lukewarm. They were finding their identity, they were finding their security in the wrong things, and it disgusted God. If you've never thought about this before, you've never read this passage, then you you need to be reminded here today that it is absolutely possible for church people to not be worshiping God. It's absolutely possible for people that wear the name of Christ to not be of Christ. It's absolutely possible for Christian people to not be Christian people. And I'm thankful for Revelation, seemingly week after week, reminding us of this. It's possible to be a church that discusses the Lord of the church, Jesus. It's possible. And that's the case in Laodicea. In this way, this book and this letter is serving us well, that the First Baptist Church of Fairdale would receive a wake-up call, a rebuke, if you will, that we would be warned here today to not be lukewarm as a family of God, as a congregation, and that you would not be lukewarm in your own heart, in your own self, in your own soul, as you look in the mirror, that you would not be lukewarm. This letter reminds us of this. Again, they were finding their identity and their security in the wrong things. They professed Christ, but they did not really trust in him. So what was it? What were they trusting in? Look back to verse chapter 3 and look at verse 17. 
For you say, he says, I am rich. I have, pros- I have prospered and I need nothing. Now, are there people that really say this in light of faith, in light of religion? I sure hope not. I don't know if they're saying this out loud. I don't know if they market themselves in this way. I hope their strategy was not, hey, look how great we are and look how much we have ourselves together and and, and we must be the people of God. I mean, we're so blessed outwardly. We've got to have God's blessing upon us. Maybe there are people that think this way. Jesus says that they are saying this and I, I take this to be the way that they think about themselves. You and I need to recognize here today in verse 17 that being rich, prospering, and not being in need are not necessarily characteristics of a right relationship with God. Church, you need to know that. You may have a great job, more money than you need, You may be prospering in so many ways, and you may be able to say, we're good, we don't need anything. And that is not necessarily a sign that you're right with God. Church, you need to know that. You need to be reminded of it here today, and you also need to know, be reminded, that that's always going to be true, okay? Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't recognize all the goodness in our lives as a gift and blessing from God. He is to be honored and he is to be worshiped and he is to be loved for everything that we have in our lives. If you have a job and if you have uh, income and if you're doing well and if you're not very needy physically from the, from the world's perspective, you should worship God with that. You should be humbled by that. You should, you should be able to take that uh, gift in life And turn your heart toward God and say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the ability. Thank you for the strength. Thank you for the goodness. And you should worship God with it. Everything that we have from God should result in us honoring God with it, worshiping God with it. That's the attitude that we are to have. But the church in Laodicea was not this way. Their wealth, their success, their their riches, their prosperity caused them to think they didn't need anything. And it wasn't converting over to recognizing the parallels spiritually. Jesus knows their lukewarm works. And we are to see that their lukewarm works were here in what they were finding security and identity in. He then points out to them, if you look at verse 17, and this is, heavy here. He says, you do not realize, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He's talking spiritually. They had clothes on. They had eyesight. They weren't poor by the world's standards. They had money. They were rich. They were not viewing themselves spiritually. They had become so lukewarm, so neither hot nor cold, they had become so lukewarm that even in their religion, they thought about religious life from the worldly perspective. We know the people that don't know Christ. We know how they think. They just want to be happy, and they just want to have things go well. They just want life to be good and enjoyable and not so stressful and difficult and hard. They want worldly material blessing. But Christian people don't think about life that way. We think about it in a different way. It reminds me of a t-shirt that I saw years ago, and then I saw it lived out in my, in my wife's life. I've seen a t-shirt before that says, if you think my hands are full, you ought to see my heart. You ever seen that before? It's, it, it, it's for a mom who has her hands full with her kids, Right? And whether that's one, three, five kids, however many kids you got, it's for a mom who literally has her hands full. And so often the comment of, wow, you got your hands full, comes across as, I feel sorry for you. But the shirt takes it in a different direction and it says, if you think my hands are full, you ought to see my heart. 
It's thinking about your hands being full from a different perspective, isn't it? Christian people are those who think about life from a different perspective. Security and identity, who we are, wealth and joy and peace don't necessarily come from the things around us. Circumstances matter. But the more important things in life are the things that are not seen. They come from being in a right relationship with God. They come from having a clear conscience. They come from being honest on the inside and the outside. They come from being set free from the burden of sin, being able to admit that we know we are not the standard. We are not altogether right. We have our flaws, we have our issues, we too sin and struggle. But God, our Father in heaven, is a God of mercy and grace. The Laodicean church, by the words of its Lord, is wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, and it does not recognize it. Church, we here today need to look inside. We need to identify blind spots. We need to be open and honest with ourselves. Are we needy before God? Do we need his forgiveness? Do we need his presence? Do we need to walk with him? Do we need to be reminded of the cross? Do we need to be reminded of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us? Do we need to be reminded of the grave, the tomb, and how the stone was put there, and how the grave and tomb is now empty, and of the risen Christ? We need to be reminded where spiritual life comes from. They were lukewarm and that they did not get their spiritual lives did not understand it. They were not thinking rightly about it. They were blinded to it. So in verse 18, he tells them, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. So he tells these rich people that they can become rich. He's talking spiritually. He says, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. He's he's teaching them how they can be clothed in righteousness, not clothed in just worldly material things. And then he says, and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He's telling them that they can see, see spiritually, have the outlook on life that is the one that really matters, valuing what God values. Notice here that we see these three things, their wealth, their righteousness, and their eyesight. And while they are wealthy and clothed and seeing in a worldly material way, they're not wealthy, righteous, and seeing from God's perspective. And so he tells them to come to him. He counsels them in verse 18 to buy from him. Now this is nice wordplay, isn't it? Because you and I know, we've learned by now, You can't buy anything from God. God doesn't want our money. He's not impressed with our money. You can't buy things from him. God wants us to believe. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to settle on the inside of us that he's Lord and we're not, that we need him. Yet because they were so successful and so rich, because they were so wealthy, he uses a terminology that they absolutely get I want you to buy these things from me, knowing you can't actually purchase them, meaning you need to get them from me. If you're here today and you have plenty, would you admit and acknowledge that it ain't enough? If you're here today and you have plenty, would you acknowledge that it's not enough? That what you need more than money and stuff is God's love in your life. You need God. And he says to come and get it from him. It's so fitting that today is Palm Sunday. We didn't plan it this way, but the Laodicean church is a perfect passage for Palm Sunday. It's a perfect fit. Palm Sunday is the triumphal entry 
when Jesus, riding on a donkey, rode into Jerusalem so the Passion Week would begin and he would ultimately be crucified on Friday. I don't know what you have going on this Friday, but I want to ask you to meet us here Friday night if you can as we have an extra service to set our hearts and minds on the death of Christ. It'll be awesome. It'll be a lot different than a Sunday morning service. It'll be shorter. We will focus in on our sins that crucified Christ as a way of preparing us for the Resurrection Sunday. Palm Sunday was the Sunday before Easter Sunday as he wrote in. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But there is so much in Palm Sunday for us to get. Palm Sunday reminds us that Christ is worthy It is the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem so that he could be the Lord, the Savior of the world. Palm Sunday reminds us of our need for a Savior and that we cannot save ourselves. He came to Jerusalem to die. Palm Sunday reminds us of true humility, and I appreciated Jake's prayer at the start of our service today when he mentioned the humility that comes from Christ. Jesus Christ is without question the greatest man ever. And he is also the most humble man ever. Think about that. The greatest, most fearless, strongest, wisest, most complete, altogether, holy and perfect, the God-man Jesus, the greatest man ever is also the most humble man ever. And Palm Sunday shows us this. When they were expecting a king to ride in with all of the beauty and and, and congregation and crowd and party that typically comes from a parade, everybody stares, they cheer, you look your best, you go crazy. That's what they were expecting at Palm Sunday. But Jesus rode in on a donkey with no crown. It was so not like the world that they were confused by it. What is this? Is this the king that the Old Testament been predicting? Doesn't look very kingly. Palm Sunday reminds us of true humility. Palm Sunday reminds us that our fake outward religion and devotion is worthless because the people that were there with palm branches and doing what they were doing and worshiping him, Hosanna, are the same ones just a few days later that would scream out, crucify him. They didn't understand. Their religion was merely outward. They were set on equating their goodness with their worship. And that's not the way it goes. Worship for God is when we believe that Christ is our Savior. We worship believing we need him. We worship believing he's worthy. We worship believing that he's the one that's good and we're not. When we worship because we think that we're good and so we're just doing more good to make us seem more good, that's not worship. That's some sort of weird, idolatry, lukewarm stuff that disgusts him. Palm Sunday reminds us this. Being lukewarm in the faith is disgusting, even disgusting to God. But I want to show you even more so how good it is for us to see Palm Sunday pointing out how bad it is to be lukewarm. And so, turn back to Matthew 21, this triumphal entry. I want to show you this. Matthew 21. A lot of times I say you don't have to turn there, but now I want you to turn there, please, if you can. The triumphal entry passages are absolutely loaded with good stuff. 
You've got the sovereignty of Christ where he says, you'll find a donkey there. It's right there tied up on the corner and just tell them that you need the donkey. And they're like, well, they're going to ask, why are we taking somebody else's donkey? And he says, tell them the Lord needs it. When you tell them the Lord needs it, they'll let you take it. And all that happens. It's just a, it's just a brilliant, amazing passage. Not to mention that all of it is fulfilled from the prophet Zechariah, which from hundreds of years before had been predicted. But I want to pick up at verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now stop right there. That's awesome, isn't it? And that's how we remember Palm Sunday, and it's it's awesome. If they really mean it. If they really are worshiping him because he's the king, the savior that they need, then it's wonderful. And no doubt, there were some there that did know that. There were some there that believed that, but there were many that didn't. And in that way, it's not right. It doesn't matter how many times you say, Hosanna in the highest. If you don't realize he's coming in to die for your sins, and you're convicted and broken over your sins, And so you cry out to that Jesus, have mercy on me. It's lukewarm if you're just there for the party. Everybody else is saying Hosanna with palm branches, so you're saying Hosanna with palm branches. That ain't right. Verse 10 tells us that it wasn't very clear, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? We got a parade going on today. Who are the champions? Who who are we celebrating? Palm Sunday was like that. Verse 11, and the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, that answer's pretty telling too. They didn't say our Savior had come. They didn't necessarily say this is the king that would die for our sins. But look what happens next. The very next verse. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Do you see what happens there? He is absolutely blasting the lukewarm lives of religious people who have made their lives about the things of God, but not about God made their lives about the things of Christ, but not about Christ, made their lives about Christianity, but not the forgiveness of sins that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what we're about. And the religious people here, he runs out, and look what happens next in verse 14. The blind are welcomed in. The lame are welcomed in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw, look at this next sentence, the wonderful things that he did, look at this next line, and the children, does everybody see that? The children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant. They said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Palm Sunday is King Jesus riding into Jerusalem that he would be rejected, that he would be beaten, that he would be killed on a cross in shame for my sins, for your sins, for all the sins of the world. Palm Sunday is him riding in and all the religious people trying to make right out of it and trying to tell him what he's doing wrong and trying to tell him why it's not right. And he comes into the temple, the place of worship, the worship for him, the worship for God, and he runs the leaders out. And he runs those who think they're the spiritual ones and he runs them out. And you've got the blind, you've got the lame, and you've got the children worshiping rightly. Palm Sunday is a wake-up call to the lukewarm. Palm Sunday is a wake-up call to the Laodicean church, and it's a wake-up call to First Baptist Church of Fairdale. We cannot be those who just go through the motions. 
The world, rightly so, is sick of Christianity that just goes through the motions, and you know it. Your friends, your family members, the news, every organization is absolutely sick over Christianity that is fake, hypocritical, arrogant, judgmental, and all of that. And to be quite honest, we're sick of it too. But guess who was sick of it well before the world and the news and the unbelievers and everybody else? The Lord of the church, Jesus. Sick over it. You're lukewarm and I'll spit you out of my mouth. There's a real Christianity in the world. And it's broken people who realize before anybody else in this world is sinful, we are. And before anybody else in this world is needy and needing God, it's we are. We need Christ. We need a Savior. We cannot be those that just go through the motions. Jesus is telling the Laodicean church, they're not in a good spot. They are lukewarm. And he tells them to come to him to find wealth, righteousness, and sight. But he doesn't stop there, although I would think that he would, but he doesn't. At verse 19, we see him offer his love. What a savior. My first point is that Jesus says, I know your lukewarm works. And my second point for the kids with the listening pages, Jesus says, receive the discipline and repent. Do you remember way back the first church, Ephesus? At the beginning of chapter two, when he warns them, if you don't repent, I'll come and put your light out. You remember that? Here, you would think he would say something like that. But he doesn't. In verse 19, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. What a statement. This is parenting at its best. When you have five little kids, every sermon has the potential to turn into a potential on parenting, and I don't want that to be the case. He just went from y'all disgust me and I'm about to spit you out of my mouth to, hey, I love you. Parenting's like that sometimes. Hope it is in your house. Here's why I'm reproving you. Here's why I'm disciplining you. Because you need to change. And it's my love that's showing you this. Verse 19 is the sermon in and of itself, is it not? I remember when I was playing basketball one time, we came out of Christmas break, and the first practice back after Christmas break was not a good one. We were sluggish, we were not focused, there was no intensity, and you could say that we were just going through the motions. And without getting angry, really, coach went over to the score table, Punched in one hour on the clock, 60 minutes, pressed go, set everybody on the line. And we ran suicides for one hour straight. When everybody looked around like, are you serious? He said, if y'all just want to go through the motions, I'll let you just go through the motions while you're running. If you want to practice with some intensity, we'll practice with intensity. Christianity is not about people who are using God to make ourselves great. Christianity is not the Lord Jesus Christ as a good luck charm for us to be rich and prosperous and thinking we're not needy. Christianity is God loving us so much 
that he points out how needy we are. He identifies everywhere that we're sinful and wrong and not right and disobedient. He reproves us. He disciplines us. He corrects us. And he says, I love you, so turn and repent. Being told to repent is loving Being told to change is loving. Being told to get right is loving. And we see this from the Lord Jesus. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. What a remarkable response by our Lord. They can respond to being lukewarm. He doesn't blast them. He doesn't slap them. He doesn't tell them, get out of here if you're going to act like that. In this case, he doesn't go and cleanse the temple. He doesn't go and turn over the tables in their church. He disciplines them. He loves them. And he is dealing with them in this way because he loves them. Oh, that your Christianity, your faith has this in it. May your discipleship, your following Christ, understand this. That when you are wrong or you're convicted and when you have a guilty conscience, when things are not going the way you wish they would go, that that would drive you to Christ, not from Christ. That you would see him as Lord and he is worthy and the one who loves you and gave himself for you. Palm Sunday shows us that God loves sinful people. While they were preparing to crucify him, he entered into Jerusalem to die in their place. The Lord Jesus Christ is so loving. And then in really what becomes a a, a, a somewhat puzzling way to put it, Look what he says next in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We don't like anything that makes Jesus look weak or not in charge. But this is a remarkable verse. Remember, this is the same guy that just said, I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. I'm the beginning of God's creation. This is the one that stands in the midst of the lampstands. This is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. This is the one who is not afraid of anything, is all-powerful, and holds the keys to life and death in his hands. Don't you ever think that there is something small or weak about Christ, but in the most amazing way of demonstrating his love and care for lukewarm, sinful people, he says... I stand at the door and knock. It's Christ. And he says to us, if you hear it, open the door and get back right. What a picture. That's what Jesus is like. What a guy. What love, what discipline. What a guy. Verse 21 says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to come and sit with me on my throne. I I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. We know that. We know Christ sat down at the right hand of the father. And then verse 22 says, who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And this is a, a brilliant way to end chapters two and three because Being lukewarm is so bad, and yet often the response of a lukewarm heart is, all right, unmoved, isn't it? Now, there's a a part of me, I think there's a part of you, that really wants to get worked up over how lukewarm Christianity is. And we think, man, I mean, Christian people today are just so messed up and out there and all that. And I, there's a place for that to be said. But this is 2,000 years old. And Christianity and churches were lukewarm then. 
Maybe the salvation of God is so incredible that there's always been people who've tried to fake it. They're lukewarm then and they're lukewarm now. When you hear Christ tell his church that you're lukewarm, the question then becomes, does it bother you? Does it matter to you? Does the church in Laodicea get bothered that they're lukewarm in their faith, that they discuss Jesus, that he says he's going to spit them out? Jesus is calling them out over it. He's disciplining them over it. He's rebuking them over it. So now how will they respond? When the hour ended at that basketball practice and coach said, now let's get back out here and let's, 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 let's practice with some fire, we did. The discipline worked. We're not just going to go through the motions. Are you lukewarm? Do you just go through the motions? Is Christ Lord to you? Can you handle a rebuke? This is a huge conversation in parenting, but it's a good one from church. Can you take it? If somebody tells you you're wrong or you need to be quiet or you need to get it together, you need to wake up earlier, you need to go to bed earlier, can you take that? If the Lord Jesus Christ tells you that you're lukewarm, you're not living for me the way you know you're supposed to be living for me, can you take that? Do you let the loving Savior Savior discipline you? Palm Sunday is an amazing story. It's one that we celebrate. Our Savior came into Jerusalem, humble and lowly, ready to die for us. But it's only a good story for us when you know he came to die. If he died for you, don't let your belief be lukewarm toward him. Let's live fully engaged, surrendered to Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the church in Laodicea. Father, thank you for the love of Christ that tells us to repent and turn back, to get right. Thank you, God, that Christ, in knowing our bad, disgusting, lukewarm works, calls us in his love to turn back to him. Oh, Father, we pray that you would convict us if we are lukewarm. Convict us if we are stagnant. Oh, Father, may we be hot, cold. May we be what we're supposed to be. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.